0: You're listening to Heart of the Hunter, a serialized fantasy novel set in Koranai, the Magical Country. The story was written and performed by Sam Chubb. For more information about this podcast, including upcoming role-playing game releases associated with this novel, check out heartofthehunter.com. Now, please enjoy Heart of the Hunter. Chapter 24 The Cayley literally lasted all night. A cycle of dancers dancing, then leaving together to find quiet places, then returning to dance again, kept itself going throughout the night. Despite this, the dance floor was never empty, and the music never once faltered. Shifts of cooks from the main house came in throughout the night and refreshed the buffet and twice some of the stronger men and boys present had been persuaded to roll out another barrel of cider from the cider-house. At first Peter thought he'd become the center of some kind of three-way conflict between women, but at some point they seemed to come to an agreement amongst themselves and passed him off, each to the other, with looks that seemed to dare him to complain. He didn't, of course... Dark Fiona, Firehair Critiana, and Brunette Tess claimed to be comfortably unentangled, and were each excellent companions by themselves, and clearly good friends together. By the end of the evening, he'd claimed kisses from all three, and learned every kind of Lunargen country dance that existed. The real surprise for Peter came when they, all three, asked to share his bed that evening. Though he initially resisted, Fiona made a comment about his needing to stand up for the honor of Yarian manhood, and Tess convinced him that they would be gentle with him and give him the benefit of their skill. But it was Kritiana who won his ascent with kisses that turned into love bites only a warrior could be expected to endure but that none could resist. The priestess Mariel called a brief halt to the dance at midnight to stand in the midst of the hall and give her blessing on the Cayley. It was believed that her blessing would make for enjoyment that had no ill consequences, and it was never taken lightly. After that, she retreated with Alabar, claiming a need to go pray in the chapel and that was the last Arin, Raven, and Chandra saw of them for the evening. Dov was carried gently out of the hall, heroically drunk and absolutely sated by an honor guard of Sidalians. Corwin and Arin tested each other's mettle throughout the evening. Though he held his own with Corwin in the harp and mandolin, Arin could not match him on the whistle, the drums, the lute the crindle, or any of a number of strange Lurangentian Amishkin instruments that Corwin produced and played, each one of them, like a master of that craft. Please, do not feel you are made the lesser in your craft, Aran, Corwin told him once between sets. You will, perhaps, one day surpass me in all of these. The training that the Silver Grove gives is excellent." But inevitably the rainy night gave way to a morning that promised a brief respite from the wet, and the happy throng of dancers changed to a happy throng of sleepers, all curled up on pallets on the still-shining floor of the Cayley House, though Chandra, Aran, and Raven found enough strength to head to their quarters, finding the beds there more to their liking. The next day was spent in what the Lunar Genti called the rest of the joyful, a thoroughly sensible custom that treated the day after a celebration as a day of rest and recuperation instead of a day to do anything useful. Those who had cared for those who were celebrating could look forward to a reversal of roles in the afternoon when the sleepy celebrants would awaken and give the night staff their time at leisure. So it was that Tess woke Peter, their other two lovers having left on the morning, with a sweet kiss and a pastry, before reluctantly leaving him. Just as the afternoon sun was eaten by another marching army of dark clouds portending more rain, Sir Valadain visited. Peter was awake, dressed in a silk guest robe and looking like a Lunargenti prince, a far cry from the sodden, bloody, and beaten warrior Valadain first met. "'Will you come, Peter, on the hunt with us?' "'On the morrow?' Valadine asked. "'I don't know that I'd be of much use, Sir V. "'The most hunting I've ever done was pheasant back on the farm. "'And that more out of need than of sport. "'I don't even know the horn calls.' "'Sir Valadine shook his head. "'We shan't need them. "'The green ward has returned, and he'll be guiding us.' "'Oh, he's back, he is.' That's good news. But isn't that, like, cheating? The green ward will know quite a bit as to where game is. Yes, he arrived this morning. He walks the spirit pathway, so he travels quickly when he wishes. He has let us know that the herds are over full. From time to time, we need to thin out the deer that wander through the county. So yes, to a certain extent, the green ward will be helping us. But it is for a good cause. The newest crop of fawns have been birthed, you see, and the oldest, the aged and infirm, must now be taken. Besides, it is not the hunt that drives us solely, but the opportunity to roam the land, to see what may be seen. Peter gestured outside. Do you think the rain will let up ere then? Surely, we'll ride before dawn. Will you join us? Peter nodded. Aye, Velidane, ere tomorrow morning, I will be recovered enough, I will. Take your rest of the joyful then, Peter. You've earned it, and, as guest, none will bother you today. Thank you, survey. Send someone to wag me, will you? "'Alabar woke slowly in the midst of silken pillows, "'frilly throes, feminine softness in all directions. "'He had never felt such luxury before. "'The world seemed to be made of softness. "'Slowly the world began to make sense, "'and he blushed to think about how his night had progressed "'after the two of them had returned to the chapel house after the Cayley. "'Pulling himself free of the bed,' Alabar discovered his discarded clothes on the careworn, but still functional, Amishkin carpets that made up the floor of the room. Leaving so soon, Patra, came a voice from behind him as Mariel entered the room. Wha uh, yes, well, uh, it has stopped raining, you see, and it was in my mind to... Shh, one moment, Alabar, Mariel said. She took one step closer to him and kissed him softly, without preamble, without demand. "'Now you may continue,' Mariel said, smiling. Alabar looked a little giddy, but continued. "'I do need to check with my caravan. I, I think, with the reins gone, they may wish for us to go forward soon.' "'I know, Alibar. As it happens, I hear your sergeant is going hunting with Sir Valadain tomorrow morning.' But I also knew, last night, that you would one day need to move on. However, that does not mean we need to become strangers to one another. Did I not please you in flesh last night? Yes, you... you pleased me. ah, Patra, why, you sound like a kiddie schoolboy. I'm... I'm just not entirely certain how one might... That is to say... Well, how did you encompass your previous lovers? Surely a man as passionate as you would have many. She smiled, pouring him a cup of tea as if she were discussing the weather. Ah, uh, no, actually. So, one or two, then? No, um, not as such. Patra, you can't be serious. "'You have... this night... this... was your tell-town. "'The gypsy wasn't choking!' Alibar gulped when he heard the word, but he nodded. "'He suddenly felt very anxious, made worse by her tone. "'I meant to say something in the midst of it, but I was... "'Well, we were... there was the poetry, and then the special prayer... And I thought that I would be able to say so, but I was so afraid that something untoward would come of it, and, well, I'm somewhat distressed you didn't see fit to tell me, but that you do now does me great honor. Great honor? I'm not sure I understand. Well, Patra, it's not every day that a priestess of the light gets a chance to offer the holiest sacrament to a priest of the light. Never mind that our churches may be quarrelsome. But to celebrate the Town with one blessed and anointed as you are? To mix prayer and passion with a holy man like yourself? Well, this is a blessing, magnified by a blessing! I see. Well... I'm glad you think so, and, in fact, I feel moved to go and offer a sacrifice in the chapel. Some flowers, perhaps, garlands, I will gather in the old wood. Honeysuckles in bloom now, I think. public sacrifice? But, of course, I wish to thank the lady for sending me such a wonderful lover as yourself. Now, let's see... Where are those petitionary scrolls from Blackpool? Scrolls? Why, of course. I must inscribe my prayer to the lady in specific, or else my sacrifice may go astray. Oh, I see. I... Mariel sat down at her writing desk and began to quickly scribe. Given this day, blah, 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 yes, thanks be to the lady for the telltale of Patra... Alabar of Rutherkin Abbey. Ah, holiness, may I... What is it, my dear man? Is all wrong? I'd really rather it not be public knowledge. I know it is a sacrament to you, and I, I, too, look fondly upon it, but I can tell you that I was... I have not been... I cannot say that... You're not ashamed of that which we did, are you, Patra? For truly, you appeared to enjoy it well enough at the time. No, it is not that, never that. But I am a private man, born of Yar, trained by a lords who are themselves very private. I would implore you, if needs you must make your offering, can you simply scribe a non-specific petition? specific, eh? Well, it's not as efficacious as a specific one, you know. But I suppose, given the circumstances, we will forego the details. So, that out of the way, would you like to have another go? Excuse me? I said, Petra, would you like to try again? After all, one time is hardly a basis of comparison and knowing what I know now. Perhaps I could... Mariel began to disrobe yet again, but Alabar stopped her. Hold, dear lady, I must admit, my spirit is most enticed, but my body requires things such as food and drink and other kinds of relief. I'm not wishing to say to you, Nay, lady, it is really outside of my knowing to do so. Just, I just... Ah, well yes, I understand, of course. We have a custom here in House Tanuvial. It is called the rest of the joyful, where none of us think that the day after a Cayley, should be aught but recovery and relaxation. Here now, let me turn to giving guestship to my poor Patre lover. Really, what was I thinking? Letting my desire for you rule me so <laughs> Register, I thought you said you had an answer for me, Raven said softly. Raven had slept all day, not because she drank a lot, but because she had seemed to need it. The sun was well down when she finally made her way to Malkin's office, catching him just before he was about to go to dinner. She sat in one of his big overstuffed leather armchairs and looked around at all the bric-a-brac his office had in it. Some of the things made her palms itch but she decided it was not the time to be listening to her hands. Yes, yes. One moment. The arm guard I've got. It's this dawn stone. Now, let's see, Malkin said. Malkin, that is the thirteenth tome of whatever that you've pulled from the shelf this hour. What are you seeing? Raven asked. Nothing so far, Malkin said. "'Why can't I help?' Raven asked. "'Can you read Ancient Farwarian?' Malkin asked. Ah, no.' "'Well, there you have it. "'I said you could take your leave of me "'if you're so very disenchanted with my presence,' Malkin said. "'No, that's fine. No need.' "'Ah,' Malkin said. "'Magister?' "'Mistress Raven,' What exactly are you looking for? This item has a magical signature. I am hoping that one of these grimoires will have a treasury listing that will explain what this is, or at the very least, give us a direction in which to research. The process is drawn out because the Farwarian language is experiential, not linear. Therefore, you are going to have to bear with me. There is no way to skip around, Malkin said. What about my mother's book? Raven asked. "'What?' "'Well, you said it may have secrets in it, and I can't read it.' "'But you can,' Raven said. "'Hm. Do you know, Mistress Raven, I did not think of that,' Malkin said. "'That's why I brought it up, Magister,' Raven said, grinning. "'Well, let's take a look, then,' he said, cracking open the spellbook and turning pages. "'Malkin said, "'Half a moment. Here's something. A journal entry.' He read aloud. Sheila Rosethorn thinks the glowing sapphire is something of a fireware, a tutor. She seems pretty intent on the idea. Although she is a bard and as such is not what I'd call a canny one, she does seem to know what she's about in the magical detections arena. Now I have only but to decide whether to come under its influence. Then, um, okay, here's another one. A few days later... I have taken the leap. At first it was disorienting, but I have come to a reasonable accommodation with it, I believe. It is my hope that it will not now drive me further crazy than I already am. Of course, none of the others know about this, and I am hoping to keep it that way. The Lunar would not approve. Hmm. Okay. Here's another one, several months later. The loon cornered me today. I had to tell him about the mentor. I'm somewhat chagrined. And now, he is regretting his time spent with me. I think that when we reach Blackpool, this company will be split. I think also, I will be staying. I'm tired of being on the run. Furthermore, the mentor tells me, I'm pregnant. She's speaking of your father, I would assume. Yeah, whatever. So what are you saying? That you think she got involved with a magical teacher? Some mentor we don't know anything about? Raven asked. I think the gemstone itself is a mentor. The ancients used them to teach their children magic, but they were far more advanced than we are. Even their child learning would be the equivalent of a mage's collegium training today, Malkin said. I see. So the gemstone is a key to a teacher? Raven asked. It is a teacher, a living construct, one that you are meant to merge with, Malkin said. How merge? Merge how? Raven asked. The stories speak of merely putting it to your forehead. I I, I don't know what happens next, but somehow you become one with the gem, Malkin said. I see, and my mother did this? Raven asked. Not only did she do this... She did it, and she hid the fact of what she did, Malkin said. She never cared much for openness and honesty, Magister, Raven said. As you say. So you think my mother used this mentor thing? Raven asked incredulously. Malcolm nodded. Yes, she used it to sharpen what magical talent she had. Raven put her hands up in a ring on her forehead. And it, she wore it like a headband over her forehead? Malkin shook his head. No. It rested within her head. It mystically binds itself to your third eye, which is straight in the center of your forehead. It literally sinks through your skull. Raven turned a little green. That's... That's disgusting. Malkin nodded. Raven sighed. "'Would it have given her magical power?' Malcolm thought about that. "'Quite possibly. "'As you can probably guess, many wizards throughout history have discovered these items "'and have tried them out with various results.' "'Good results?' Raven asked. "'Um, not necessarily always. "'Several mages were driven insane by their mentors. "'Others were crippled in one area of magic or another.' Others lost their talent altogether when their mentors deemed them too weak or untrained to use their powers, Malkin said. Uh, How do you get it out if you don't like it? Dig it out with a knife? Raven asked. Uh, From all accounts, that course of action is typically fatal. Usually, the mentor will disengage when it feels as though it cannot further improve on your knowledge, Malkin said. I see. So it decides. Does it control your actions? Not always, but it certainly may. In fact, one famous scholar, Tertos, found himself unable to eat anything requiring chewing. He could not chew. He drank most of his meals for six months. Um, it took that long for him to be rid of his mentor's influence, Malkin said. I see. So... If she had it before, maybe by the time she came to live in Blackpool, she didn't have it anymore, Raven said. Perhaps. One thing is certain, however. No mentor has ever worked for anyone. Twice. So, if she did lose her mentor, she would have lost it forever, Malkin said. Why did she hang on to it, then? Raven asked. Perhaps there was hope of selling it. "'It is very valuable. "'Any maid worth his salt would be slavering over a mentor "'that exhibited safe function,' Malkin said. "'As opposed to not eating or breathing or being driven insane, you mean?' "'Raven asked. "'Yes, just so,' Malkin nodded. "'So someone might be motivated to kill for this thing, wouldn't they?' "'Raven asked. "'Oh, yes, definitely. "'Good job keeping it in a special ward box.' Fywarian energies tend to advertise themselves to certain persons. Warding it is the only way for you to stay private, outside of putting it in your head, Malkin said. I see. Well, fascinating, Raven sighed. Now, this armed guard I have completed my evaluation on, I can tell you that it is quite powerful, I had to ask for a tome to be brought up from the vaults, as I thought I knew what this thing is about, but I had to be sure, Malcolm said. Yes. This tome here explains it. It is called The Heart of the Hunter, a talisman made by the treekeeper Oleander and his wizard friend Ambrosius. Oleander was a greensward before rising to the treekeeper council. And Magister Ambrosius earned Beloved of the Trees ranking among the Keepers, even if he was not a Keeper himself, Malkin said. So it's a Treekeeper, a a Druid thing? Raven asked. A Greensward thing, a talisman designed to essentially assist a Greensward in every discipline or tradition they follow, Malkin said. Ah, there was one of those. Uh, green wards uh, on the road we met him uh, a distant fellow he gave us the coin that got us here though raven said oh indeed was that warden kennel yes you know him oh yes my dear he is count tanuvial's nephew if he weren't a green ward, he'd be the baron garavio the lord of hunt creek and tree tower he's actually here today newly arrived from the road "'Well, there you go, then,' Raven said. "'He's a nice enough guy, I think. "'Don't like his dog, though. Too licky.' "'Malkin nodded, though he didn't quite understand. "'Well, it's my advice that you give this,' the Magister touched the arm-guard, "'into the keeping of the green wards.' "'I don't know. What could it do for me?' Raven asked. "'Malkin read from the book. "'Swiftness and surety in the hunt—' To move unseen, to strike once and unerringly, to track one's prey and be yourself unscented. That sort of thing. All that the hunter might ever need. Raven grinned. You truly think I'm going to give that up? That sounds just like my line of work. The magister spread his hands for a moment. It would be the wisest course of action. This talisman has ancient magic in it. Treekeeper magic. Raven thought about that one. Yeah, I could wrap it in black silk or something if I was worried about it being detected, right? Mistress Raven, you don't understand. The Tree Keepers are ancient and powerful. They have shepherded the world since before all history began. They have a vested interest in making certain their items of power do not end up in the hands of... Petty thieves? Raven asked, her lips quirked. Mercenaries. Should they take notice, the Magister began... Raven grinned then. "'I'll just have to be sure they don't take notice, "'unless you're planning on telling them?' "'Malkin sighed. "'What you choose to do with your legacy, Mistress Raven, is up to you. "'I do not choose for you, "'and you have come to me in consultation, in confidence. "'I would not betray that trust.' "'Raven grinned. "'Hey, you're a nice guy, Magister.' "'Thank you, Mistress Raven. "'Is there anything further you'd like to know?' "'Malkin asked.' Raven looked thoughtful. Does it hurt to put this mentor thing in your head? The Magister shook his head. No, Raven, typically it does not hurt. Okay. Thanks for the help, Magister, Raven said as she rose to go. You're quite welcome, he said, bowing to her. May I ask what your plans are regarding these things? Raven grinned. Yeah, you may ask. Of course, I won't answer but you may always ask. Good day, Magister, she said, shaking his hand and smiling at him and left him in his office. Malcolm wrapped his hand around a pendant on his neck and whispered softly to it. Yes, she's left. She knows what it is. What happens next is up to her. He rose and picked up the tome he'd been reading, securing the room and dousing the lights. He left for the evening meal. Hello there, Arun said, smiling as he entered his tent. He had found it fully deployed in the confines of the room Chandra had been given to sleep in, and went immediately to open the flap and step in. Chandra yanked a silk robe to cover herself. Here now! Yes, indeed, I am. Good even. What are you doing here? Chandra demanded. This is my tent. My bag. I'm only here to... This is my room! I it is. And yet you didn't answer the knock at the door. As a result, I thought. You decided to just come in? Yes, Chandra, I did. My sincere and abject apology. I'll go now. Well, now that you're here, what do you want? The merest nothing, I assure you. I'm sorry to have upset you. Arun. It is your satchel, your tent. You need something, so tell me what it is. Ah, I needed some, uh, fiddle oil for my viola, is all. Fiddle oil. Oh yes, it's Valisti fiddle oil, of course, much better than any of those Lunargenti oils. Could it not have waited? Arne was clearly chagrined. Let's just... let's forget any of this happened, shall we? I don't think so. It was at that moment that Arn remembered that he was geish-bound, that the times in the past he found he could wiggle free from awkward situations were obviously assisted by his magic, and that magic was now blocked. Tell me why you're really here, Arn, Shonda demanded. She backed up to the changing screen and slipped into the robe she had. Arn felt a welling up in him. A strange urge to tell her exactly why he'd come, which had nothing to do with fiddle oil. He had come because he had needed to see her. Needed to talk to her. To be near her. When Chandra walked back out from the screen, Arn was gone, the frills on the tent flap still waving. She followed him out. Wait, Auron, wait. I need to talk to you. Please, just... Auron turned to her, looking at her in the moonlight, streaming in through her room's window. She was beautiful. And even more so because she had no idea that she was beautiful Chandra saw Aran in the moonlight, and he looked like some long-lost hero of legend, a man made of silver, but with warm, merry eyes, and the easy grace of a cat. He took a few steps toward her then, showing her he wasn't going to leave. "'I need your help,' I think. "'I have this ring. "'I need to know—I need to know what it does.' And you think I know such? I am no magister. I think you may, Arin. Will you at least look at it? Yes, of course. As you wish. She held out her hand and showed him the ring. Ah, yes. This is, this is a ring of good fortune and wisdom. You, you got it from Brother Alivar. Yes, he showed me this and have you felt any effects from wearing it i'm still alive uh also i think i met a teacher truly is it uh the magister here no a lady a woman in the garden last night the cemetery you mean what that was no garden you were in last night chandra this it's a memoria A place of the dead. The dead are burned. Their ashes placed in urns. The urns ensconced in the wall. You saw there. So you saw a woman there. Did she vanish when you looked away? I did, and she... Well, I guess she did. There, it is settled. A ghost. What? You met a ghost? Did this unrestful spirit ask anything of you? Demand you pay a price? What no, good. Then she's not this poor sort who feeds on one's soul. Arin, she was a lady, a baroness, I think. So, a fancy pants ghost. Well, I suppose that's better than a hooligan. Really, Arin, don't scare me like this. How am I supposed to learn from a ghost? As easily or as well as from any other. Chandra, this power in you just needs training, teaching, focus. A teacher doesn't have to touch you to give you that. Tell me, did you feel comfortable around her? I... I did. She was like a kindly aunt, she thought a moment. A kindly aunt I've never had. To be true, very few magically gifted people have ever had such a teacher... I would think that you should count yourself lucky, indeed. But as always, you must follow your heart, Chandra. Chandra looked up to Aran. I thank you, Aran. Everything is so new, and so much has changed, and I'm. I'm starting to wonder whether I've been scared all my life. There are those of us who know you only as you are today. You are a scared girl no longer, Chandra You are on your way to being a powerful woman Is that how you see me? You have power you have not even touched yet Chandra nodded I don't know that I'm ready for more power, Arin. And however strong you think I am It didn't stop Jack And what he did What he did was foul. I'm glad you burned him for it. But I wish that his crime would have died with him. Chandra nodded and blinked back tears. I must go now, Arryn. Arryn nodded. No matter what his desires, no matter how much, he loved her. He could not force his attention on her. Light go with you, Arryn murmured. And with you, Chandra said, and turned, entering the tent. Shaking himself out of his reverie, Arin turned and left. The Hound of the Light paused at the door to the temple before beating it down with fists dipped in living steel. The door shattered. Beautiful Lunargenti inlay flying in all directions, the bas-relief of the goddess Oriel on them, irreparably damaged. He paused, not because he was at all sorry that he was destroying a priceless artifact, but because he was channeling the punishing power of the light itself into his body. He took a few moments to breathe and listen and see if this temple had any warriors But Oriel's hall is a place of peace, a place of healing, and this day there were no guardians or protectors present. The hound's eyes revealed to him the truth of the place, the deceptive energy that seemed at times to be like the light of Aelor, but was far too weak and shifting to truly be the holy power of his god. This was the temple of the infidel, And as he entered the sanctuary, he immediately caught sight of the hated altar of the deceiver, the womanly curves of the pedestal flowing into the tablar itself. The altar was covered with a cloth made of whore's purple, a color forbidden in the true temples of the light. A seashell chalice was its single altarpiece, instead of the fire of the brazier of truth coupled with the sword of justice He wanted to smash it immediately, but he stayed his hand as his breathing slowed to a stop, and he stood waiting in the stillness, his eyes closed, his spirit questing. Then his eyes opened, and they turned and found Alabar hiding behind a curtain. Brother Alobar! Brother Alobar! Why, it is lovely to see you. I greet you in the name of the light. Won't you come and worship with me? He said, holding out his living steel hand in welcome. I know why you're here, dog. I can't let you destroy this place of beauty. Alabar. (laughs) Alabar. You don't know what you're talking about here. You've been deceived by Father Jacob. But all that is done now. You see, the good father has been dealt with by the Justice of the Light, and my order has returned to rule Rathurken. We will begin again the penance that you should have been receiving all this time, Alabar. We will make in you a new place before the Lord of Light. Hound of the Light, I know what you do. This is not about peace or penance. This is about death. You have the blood of my brothers on your hands. You have the stench of death on your breath. Your honeyed words are poison to my ears. Oh, Alabar, you are making this far too hard for yourself. You can't be held responsible for the errors of your betters. But there are limits to the Lord's mercy, alopar Limits to his forgiveness. Alibar moved between the hound and the delicate altar of the goddess. I stand by what Father Jacob taught me. I repudiate you and your hate. I drink now from a different cup. And the light rejoices in me, Alabar said, and drank deep from the chalice on the altar. Briny seawater turned sweet on his lips, dripping down his neck, becoming sunlight as it did. The hound moved in a blur and dashed the cup out of Alabar's hand, sending it slamming against the far wall, shattering into small pieces. That for your insipid perversion, Alabar, for your crime— For your heresy, I name you outcast. Three times I name thee, Traitor of the Faith. Three times your name will be written in the Book of Midnight. Three times will your measure be soaked in filth and burned on the altar of vengeance. And the hounds will catch your scent then. And the hunt will begin, and you can be sure IN THE FULLNESS OF TIME, YOU TOO WILL BURN. GET THEE OUT OF THIS PLACE, WARBRINGER, GET THEE OUT, BE GONE FROM THIS TEMPLE, BY THE LIGHT OF LOVE, I ABJURE THEE, ALABAR SAID, DRAWING ON THE POWER OF HIS OWN LIGHT, AND FELT SOFT HANDS TOUCH HIS FOREARMS, A SOFT BODY steal UP BEHIND HIM, ADDING POWER TO HIS OWN, AND THE LIGHT BECAME BLINDING, BRIGHT, COMPLETE a palpable thing that pushed the intruder back. We are not called hounds for nothing, Alibar, and we we will never give up the hunt. Remember, remember, came his response, but a sword of the light of peace pushed him out and dispersed the hound. The light suddenly dimmed to only the small pink presence light of Mariel's small personal altar, which cast long shadows across her boudoir. Alibar had to blink twice to realize he'd been dreaming, and he shook visibly, cold sweat pouring off his body. Mariel, awakened as well from his nightmare, held him in her arms then, smoothing his head. All will be well. Everything We'll be well, Alibar. The darkness has been pushed back. You are safe, my love, she said, holding him. Tears of grief poured out of him then, for the visitation by the hound must surely portend the death of his mentor Jacob and all of his brothers in the abbey. Must I lose everything, Mariel? Alibar said, crying. Jacob knew what he was doing, Alibar. "'and he knew that one day the hounds would come to Rathurken. "'He told me that it was worth it, and I have to believe it. "'You will have to believe it, or not, as you will.' Alibar looked up into her eyes. "'I feel very much alone now.' "'Mariel smiled then and put her hand on an oak-leaf pendant around her neck.' that Alabar had not noticed until this moment. You needn't be. Tell me, Halabar, do you believe in the balance? You've been listening to Heart of the Hunter, a Koranai Chronicle's story. Heart of the Hunter is brought to you by the Fireheart Foundry family of podcasts. Fireheart Foundry also produces Fledgling, a Aiden Universe science fiction novel by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller, The Bear's Grove Podcast, Dragon Kent, the podcast for kids and gaming, The Square One Podcast, and Vibrant Living. Find out more about the Fireheart Foundry at fireheartfoundry.com. This podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons attribution, no derivatives, no commercial use. License 2.5. Music is provided by the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening, and we invite you back to our fire real soon.